into this and discover more of who God is and what He wants for us. And so Hebrews chapter 1, as we kick off this series called Greater Than, I want you just to listen to what the author of Hebrews says here, beginning in verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and is the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. And after He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to them. Uh, well, in our culture, one of the things that we love to do is talk about uh, who is the greatest of all time. And so this debate rages on in all kinds of different circles, whether it's academics or athletics or technology or whatever. And so um, so we love to kind of find out and debate who's the greatest of all time. And so I always kind of start with basketball. That was my sport that I played growing up. And so, you know, Michael Jordan was the greatest of all time, in my opinion. But you've got other people who don't agree with me, and they would say, well, no, I mean, Michael Jordan was good. But modern era, we've got Kobe Bryant, and we've got LeBron James. And so let's just kind of put this – anybody, Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, people out there? Okay. Anybody on the other side, like you've got Kobe or you've got LeBron, you're kind of in that vein. Okay. It's because you never saw Michael Jordan play, Nathan. I mean, he was a Washington wizard by the time you grew up, and so that's not a fair comparison. But, uh, uh, yeah, um, you know, but, yeah, man, I, mean, I, I always felt like Jordan was the best, but some people disagree with that, people who probably didn't get to watch him, and that's okay. Uh, but then you've got another debate. Uh, you can go into football, and you've got uh, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. Right, and so we're from Tennessee, so let's see all the Manning greater than greatest of all time. It's Manning, okay? And then stop, shh, hey. Um, and then you've got—I uh, don't even know what you said, but you don't stop. Um, but then you've got maybe some of you are more objective, and you're not from Tennessee, and you so you would kind of say Tom Brady. Tom Brady's the best of all time. Great. Okay, those are the doors over there. You guys are welcome. Now we know who the, the real Tennessee people supporters are. All right, um, Montana. Come on. Um, then you get into some technology, maybe. You've got the Bill Gates or the Steve Jobs. So now you're into, don't raise your hand. Um, it's like, you know, your PC world or Mac world. And so we're really not going to raise our hands there because that one starts fights sometimes. And so we're not going to figure out who's on the right side of that debate. But, uh, man, the debates in, the, in our culture always rage on about who is the greatest of all time. And maybe it depends on when you grew up or who you watched or who was an important team to you or whatever. But we all hold these things to say this person is the greatest of all time. And as we jump into the book of Hebrews for the next few weeks, and as we look at this series called Greater Than, here's what the main thing that I believe the author is trying to do as he writes in this book. And I say the author because we don't know 100% who wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people think it was Paul. Uh, I tend to be in that camp, but he doesn't say. And so we're not going to say it's Paul because the, the letter just doesn't tell us. But the author of Hebrews uh, is really trying to explain to us that Jesus is the greatest of all time. And he's going to look at things all through the beginning chapters of this book to say that Jesus is greater than anything. He's making that argument for the supremacy of Jesus over everything and everyone else in all of creation. And so he starts out by saying that Jesus is greater than angels. The next week we're going to look at the fact that Jesus is greater than Moses. And then after that, that Jesus is greater than the office of the high priest, that he is a greater high priest. And then the last thing that we'll look at is that Jesus is greater than the, the temple or the sacrificial system, that He is the sacrifice for our sins that takes a, a, the place of the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so Jesus is the greatest of all time. 
And so this Christmas, if you're taking notes and want to write some things down, just start here. This Christmas, the best gift you could give yourself would be the gift of a deep understanding of the supreme worth of the Christ that we're celebrating. That as you go into this season, the best gift you could give yourself is a unique understanding of the depth of who this person is that we're celebrating, the Christ of Christmas. As you get to know Him more and discover more of who He is and how He is personally related into your life, that it's going to change how you view this season. So you would think that it would be easy to recognize the greatest of all time. I mean, when we have these debates, if you kind of go, you know what, if I'm on, on, on a basketball court and Michael Jordan's on a basketball court, that's a no comparison, right? I mean, we're going to be able to say, oh, yeah, he's greater, he's better. But when Jesus comes along, you would think that it would be easy to recognize him as the greatest of all time. But John, in his gospel, tells us that people miss Jesus as the greatest of all time. In fact, look at John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. John writes and says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So here's what we need to understand. It's possible, it's possible to see Jesus. It's possible to hear about Jesus. It's possible to be around Jesus' people at church and still miss that Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. That we still can see all of the evidence of Jesus around us and still put other things above Him. That we live our lives doing this. That we will say, hey, Jesus is the most important thing to me. He's the greatest thing in my life. There's nothing more valuable to me than Jesus with our words. But then our lives is something totally different. A lot of times we'll look and we'll say, you know what? Jesus is the greatest thing to me. But if I look at your life, I see that family is of higher priority to you than God. Or maybe you say, Jesus is the most important thing to me. But people look at your life and go, man, your job and the pursuit of money seems to be of greater importance to you than your relationship with God. Or maybe your social status, that you'd say, man, I say that Jesus is the most important thing to me, but when it comes down to it, I'm not willing to share my love of Jesus at my workplace or around my peers because I don't know if they're going to accept it. I don't know if they're going to accept me if I do that. And so my social status really is, is more important to me than Jesus. It's greater to me than Jesus. Whatever it is that you look at in your life, that you might have to really ask yourself the question of what is greater than Jesus to me. The author of Hebrews is going to really help us to understand how Jesus is the greatest thing that we have in our lives and how we can follow Him. So we have to keep our eyes on Jesus and not on these lesser things. Even in the Christmas season that we're enjoying and that we're entering into, the Christmas season itself can distract us from Jesus. All of the trappings of Christmas can take our eyes and our focus off of Jesus. The Christmas parties, the school presentations, shopping, traveling to be with family, all of those things cause us to lose focus on the one most important thing there is, and that's Jesus himself. And so as we go through this series, we're going to look at Hebrews, and we're going to see the glory of Jesus open up to us. Look back at Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to read the first four verses again, or the first three verses, excuse me. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Let's stop there for just a second. As he says in the past, this is how God communicated with us. In the, in the Old Testament, uh, from the ages past, God spoke through our ancestors in, in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different times. And so we can see that play out in the past. God would speak through the patriarchs, uh, the, the origin, the founders of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all of these people. God spoke through them to, to reveal more of his plan and who he was to his people. And so God spoke through them. God spoke a lot of times uh, through angels. He would send angels to come and be messengers for him. And so there were angels that were involved in that. And then the prophets 
came along, and so God would speak through the prophets, and he would share uh, a little bit more of who he was and his expectations for how you live in relationship with him through his prophets. Sometimes he would use just a divine voice that God would literally speak out, and that his voice would be audibly heard, and people would know that was the voice of God speaking. He talked to me. And then sometimes God would do something crazy. It says many times and in various ways. We're not limited to human interaction here. God's creative. Sometimes he talks through burning bushes, right? And so God, in the middle of a burning bush that's on fire but not being consumed, speaks to Moses. One time in the Old Testament, he spoke through a donkey. Like, that was just God going, watch what I can do, right? And so it's like there's no limitation here to how God can communicate with people. And so in various times and in many ways, God spoke. In verse 2, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, and He's the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful Word. After He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Right, And so all of this idea, and you go back again to that very first phrase, in the past God spoke. In the past, that word um, in the past actually is a term that, that doesn't just mean the historical past. That when he says in the past, it's not just talking about ancient days, older time. It's literally a, a phrase or a word that means it's a time that was past the point of use. It's worn out. It's ready to be replaced. In the past, in a worn out system, in an older system, God did it this way. But now, in these last days, there's a new era of God's revelation that has come, and it's through the person of the Messiah. So God no longer speaks through a middleman to reveal who he is. Now God has sent his son, who is God in the flesh, to come and be the mouth of God, the representation of God, and to be the expression of God's plan. And so in these last days, we've put away this speaking through a middleman. Now Jesus says, I'm going to come and be with you. This is why the prophets say that his name would be Emmanuel, God with us. That he came to be with us. That he came to show us who the Father was. It's no longer good enough to talk about who God is. I want to show you God. That was Jesus' whole point, that he came to reveal God. So in this text, in the first three verses that we've read here, according to the text, Jesus is these things. Listen to just some of these things we've already discovered about him. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the universe. He's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He's the sustainer of all things. And he's the one who has purified sins and sits at God's right hand. I mean, all of these things from the first three verses of Hebrews, that we just look at this and go, God is showing how powerful He is. He's revealing Himself in these ways. And I love that very last idea, that He has come to be the provider of the purification for sin. Because here's why that's important. And what Jesus could do that no one else could do, He could make a once and for all offering for sins. Where in the old system, in the past system, in the broken system, you had to continually come with a sacrifice to have your sins forgiven. When God sends His Son into the world, when Jesus shows up as God in flesh, He says, I'm going to change the system. I'm going to go to the cross for you once for all. And I'm going to take care of this whole thing. You no longer have to make sacrifices over and over and over again. There is no further action needed on anyone's part because of who Jesus is and what He's done. But Jesus isn't a messenger like the prophets of God or the patriarchs or the angels. Jesus isn't a messenger. And this is what I love about Christmas. Jesus is the message. He's not just a messenger to come and say, let me tell you about God. He's the message. He's the one that the entire Old Testament has been pointing to to say, this is what's been everything in history has been leading up to. 
He's the message. He's the one we need to pay attention to. It's his, uh, his life that we have to pay attention to because he is uniquely, uniquely qualified to reveal God to us. And the reason he's qualified to do that is because he is God. Look back at something that Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1. It sounds a lot like Hebrews chapter 1. Colossians 1 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. So Jesus is God in flesh, and that distinguishes Him from everyone and everything else in history. So you look back at Hebrews. If you go back to the very beginning, the author begins to tell us how Jesus is greater than anything else in history. We don't have to look for anything else for salvation. And the first thing that he looks at is that Jesus is greater than the angels. And so skip ahead to verse 4. As the author starts to talk about Jesus being greater than the angels, he says, So he, Jesus, he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. So in speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also said, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. But to which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? So maybe the question that we would ask this morning is just, why do we need to discuss angels in light of Jesus and salvation? I mean, like, it's great to talk about angels. We like angels. We see angels all the time. There's angels on TV. There's TV shows about angels. There's, you know, drawings of angels. There's all these things, and that's great. But why is this important? Why are angels so important in the conversation about salvation and Jesus? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question because the rest of my sermon is about answering it. So been awkward if you didn't ask that. But here's the first thing we need to kind of look at is that we need to have a brief explanation and description of what angels are. First, angels are immortal. They're created beings who are spirit in nature, but they can take on human form. And beyond human form, they can even take on the form of the Bible says that sometimes they appear as flame or even as wind. And so angels can take on human form and interact among us, but they're spirit in nature. They may be in the room right now and we don't even know. Because they are spirit, in the same way that God is spirit. And so angels have no form and yet can take form. They are ministering spirits of God. And there are a lot of different kinds of angels. The Bible talks about uh, warrior angels. It talks about guardian angels. It talks about uh, angels who are cherubim and seraphim that are around the throne of God worshiping Him. It talks about archangels. And so there are many kinds of angels. There may be even angels that we don't know exist because God simply has not chosen to reveal that to us. We may get to heaven and be like, there's a whole other classification of angels that are here we didn't even know about. It's like exploring the depths of the ocean. 
Every time we think we've found everything on planet Earth, we discover something else. We didn't even know that existed. Maybe we get to heaven and there are more. But angels are created beings, and, and they exist to carry out the will, the plan, the purposes of God, both individually and corporately. So God can send an individual angel like Michael or Gabriel and say, go and deliver this message to someone. Go to, to Mary and let her know that she's going to have a, a son. She's going to be the mother of the Messiah. But oftentimes God will also use his angels corporately. And he'll have the angel hosts, the angel armies go and fight a battle for Israel in the Old Testament. And he would say, Israel, you don't even have to fight. All you need to do is stand still. I'll fight on your behalf. Do you remember the story in the Old Testament where they're getting ready to go into battle and they heard in the trees above them a rustling sound it was angels running through the trees? <laughs> like, that's enough to make you wet your pants, right? I mean, it's just, those are the kind of things that you just go, angels are incredible, incredible, incredible. And so there was a high regard for angels. And the reason we have to ask this question, why are they important in this, is because speculation existed that the recipient of the letter to the Hebrews that they may have experienced some confusion over whether Jesus should be classified as an exalted angel or if He really is God in flesh. I mean, when we look at Jesus, how should we view Him? Is He an angel that God sent as another messenger? I mean, God has always sent angels to be messengers. So is Jesus an exalted angel? Should we qualify Him and quantify Him with other angels? Or is Jesus, in fact, God in human flesh? We need to know this answer. Because if we're going to put our worship in Jesus, he has to be greater than the angels. And so the second thing, and maybe more uh, likely and contextually, is that angels uh, are discussed so much in the first century in relation to their role as mediators of the Mosaic Law, the Torah. So the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, is known as the Torah, the books of the law. And in the Old Testament, it's disclosed from us. But the New Testament opens up some pieces that have been passed down through oral tradition and through the Jewish people, and it lets us know that when God gave the law, which is what every Israelite lived under, to be in right relationship with God, you had to obey the law. You lived by the law. You obeyed the sacrificial system. You obeyed all of the different fun forms and functions that the law put into life in Israel. And so here's what we find in the New Testament, that the angels were highly engaged in giving the law to Moses. So they were held in high regard. Look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Acts chapter 7, verse 52 and 53. They're asking the, the Pharisees, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. That's speaking of Jesus. Verse 53, you who have received the law that was given through angels, but yet you have not obeyed it. So here we see angels helped give the law to Moses that the people were supposed to live by, but they weren't following it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So until Jesus came, the law was there to, to keep us in right standing with God. Then the last part of the verse, the law was given through angels and was entrusted to a mediator. And so for the Jewish people who are now coming into faith in Christ, they're hearing the gospel message, they're, they're walking away from their Jewish culture, their Jewish heritage to come into this new understanding of what it means to be in faith in Christ. And they're trying to debate, do, am, I, am I still Jewish? Am I something else? Do we still follow the law? What do we do? How do we practice our faith as a Jewish person but also as a Christian? And so there's all these questions. And one of the things that was a huge question that Israelites had to answer was, do we still obey the law? Because the angels, through the patriarchs, through Moses, through the different people, have given us God's revelation of himself through the law. And so if we're supposed to follow the law, then we still hold angels in really high regard. But now Jesus has come, and the, the New Testament paints a picture and says Jesus 
isn't something that separates us from the law. Jesus has come to fulfill the law. That everything in the Old Testament that the law was about pointed to and was identified in solely in Jesus. And so now we see the author of Hebrews going, this is why Jesus is greater than the angels. He's not just a, someone who comes to bear another witness of the Old Testament law. He is the fulfillment of that law. And so the people are having to answer this question, what do we do and why are the angels important? And so the author of Hebrews is saying, this is what you need to understand about God, that he is different than the angels, about Jesus as the Son of God, that he is different than the angels. So look at some things that he points out in these verses. I mean, we're only a few verses into the book, and we've already got a lot of great theology about Jesus uncovered here. Here's some things that you see about Jesus in these first verses, the first four or five verses. He says that he is the Son of God, that he's the revelation of God, that he is the fulfillment of God's revelation in the Old Testament that He's the heir of all things, that He's the agent of creation, that He's the radiance of God's glory, He's the expression of God's nature, God's very character, He's the preserver of all creation, and He's the purifier of God's people. And this is huge. To be able to grasp all of these things about who Jesus is and His nature and His character from these first verses of the book of Hebrews, that the author's pointing out and saying, you need to know this Jesus. You need to understand and identify with how much greater He is than anything else. And the conversation starts with the the angels. So the next verses, starting in verse 4, help us identify specifically how Jesus is greater than the angels. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, just write this or follow along on the YouVersion app. That Jesus is greater in name. He's greater in name. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. So He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. And I love the song that we sang this morning. There's no greater name. Kyle told you that was a new song. The reason it's new is because he wrote it for this series. And so when we think about that song and we think about this verse, it says there's no greater name than Jesus. He is the greater name. That word inherited in verse 4 doesn't mean that at one time Jesus wasn't Lord and then all of a sudden he did something to inherit the title to be Lord of all. It just simply means that from the very beginning, from before creation, from eternity past, He inherited. He was given the name Lord. That that would be His function and His role in this whole creation process that God has put into place. And so He has inherited that name. His name is superior to the angels. He is the Lord. But then there's another name that we're talking about as well. Look at verse 5. Jesus is greater in position. Verse 5 says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You're my son, today I've become your father. Or again, I will be His father and He will be my son. See, Jesus' status, His standing is greater than the angels because He is God's Son. He is the begotten of the Father. It doesn't mean that Jesus at one point in time did not exist and then God created Him or God had a Son. He is the begotten of the Father. He is of the same nature and character of the Father. He is God Himself. God exists in Trinity as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all eternal, all equal, all God. And so that's one of those things that just blows our minds. But Jesus has not inherited something that he wasn't before time. He has always been this. So the Bible then, when it calls him the Son, the Bible never describes angels as as the Son. Now, collectively, you will find times in the Bible where it says that the angels are the sons of God in the same way that you and I are called sons and daughters of God. That God, as our Father, as the Creator of all of us, views us with love and His compassion and His mercy. He calls us His children. But when we get into Hebrews, it says that he actually calls Jesus the Son. You are the Son. The angels are sons of God, created in the light, or in, in, uh, created in the order of God, in the creation order. 
but they are not God's son. Jesus alone has that title and that designation. So here's number three. Jesus is greater in glory. Look at verse six. He's greater in glory. Again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. I actually like the New American Standard Version better. I think it captures more clearly the Greek language here. Verse 6 in the New American Standard says, And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, And let all of the angels of God worship him. So this verse isn't talking about Jesus' first advent, his first arrival. It's talking about his second advent. It's talking about when Jesus returns. And again, or again, when he brings the firstborn into the world. So he's come before, and again he will come. And when he does, who's going to be there to worship him? The angels are. That God is going to send his firstborn into the world again, and he's going to come with trumpeted fanfare, with angels coming on the wing to worship him and magnify him and glorify him. And so he is coming again, and he is going to be worshipped by angels because he's worthy of greater glory. Look in verses 7 and 8. In speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire, but about the sun, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and a scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. The angels are servants. Jesus gets a throne. Jesus gets a scepter. The scepter in Scripture always represents power. It always means that he's there to rule and to reign. Jesus has been given the throne with God because he is God and he will rule and he will reign forever. So although Jesus is greater than the angels in every way, here's what's powerful about the Christmas story. Jesus is greater than them in every way. And yet, Jesus humbled himself. He became a man. He took on flesh. And he was found in our likeness to limit himself and to come a little bit lower than the angels. Look at how they, they talk about this in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 through 9. It says, It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you're mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You've made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honor. He's talking about us. And put everything under their feet. And in putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And so Jesus humbles himself to become like us to take on flesh, to identify with us, so that He can become a sacrifice for us. And in doing that, He humbled Himself. He became a little bit lower than the angels for a little while. I love that phrase. For a little while. Because when He died on the cross and was raised back to life, He was once again elevated to heaven. He ascended back to heaven where there was a coronation. And Jesus walked back into the throne room of heaven after giving His life as a sacrifice for us, and He was crowned King and Lord forever and forever. And all of that points us to our final point, that Jesus has a greater purpose. He has a greater purpose than the angels. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name, God, to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will, pray, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am and the children that God has given to me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity 
so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That's the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but it's Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now I want you to look at a few things, the descriptions of Jesus' purpose when he came. Four of them that are found here. Verse 10, he came to bring many sons and daughters to glory. That's his purpose. He says he came to bring us into relationship with God, to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Verse 14, he came to overcome the devil and to break the devil's power. The fear that we had as we lived under sin and under death is broken in Christ. Then we see that he's come to liberate the believer from slavery in verse 15. That he's come to set us free from the slavery that we were in to sin. And that because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice... We are no longer bound to sin. We are no longer slaves to that lifestyle. We can say no to sin and say yes to God through His power as the Holy Spirit works in us. And then last, He's come to deliver aid to Christians. Verses 16 through 18 says that He's come to deliver aid to us. That He helps us in our weakness. That He delivers us through our difficult times. That He came so He could identify with us. So that He would know what we're going through and how best to help us in our moment of need. That Jesus has come for that purpose. These purposes give us the understanding that Jesus is greater in name. He's greater in position. He's greater in glory. He's greater in purpose. But you know what? Even though Jesus was the Messiah of the Jews, the one they had been waiting for, He's the greatest of all time. When He came, He was still largely missed. The greatest of all time showed up and people missed Him. And you go, how in the world could you miss the Messiah, the one you've been waiting on, how could you miss him? You know what I think? I think that, that people then missed him the same way that people now miss him. Do you know what's taking place around Bethlehem when Jesus was born? Caesar had called for a census. He wanted all of the world to be taxed. He wanted to count those who were under his command, and he wanted to tax them. And so hundreds and thousands of people had gathered in Bethlehem to come and to pay their taxes. They had brought their families with them, some of them for for dozens and dozens of miles, maybe further, had come back to Bethlehem, to their origin city, to register with the government and to pay their taxes. The whole family was there. And because they were busy with family and busy with money, they missed what was going on right under their noses. The Messiah, the Savior of the world had come. Here's why I say that's like us today. Because I think even at this Christmas season, it's possible for us to miss what Jesus is doing and how Jesus is involved in the world. Because we're so involved with our family and we're so involved with money, buying gifts and presents for everybody that sometimes all of the focus and attention goes to those things and we forget that our adoration, our praise, our worth, our value is supposed to be placed on Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ of Christmas. And so this Christmas, my challenge to us as a faith family is that we do what's possible to keep Jesus at the center of our celebration. That we do everything we can to make sure that we follow the heart of God in exploring who Jesus is to the depths of knowing Him with the fullness of our heart. Because there's so much to know there. Just read over Hebrews 1 and 2 this week. See what Jesus is about. See who the author of Hebrews says He is. Because He's greater than anything else in all the world. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I just ask and pray in these moments that we have that you would help show us who you are more fully, more clearly. I pray, God, that as our eyes are opened to that reality, God, that you would help make it the reason why our Christmas celebration is so great this year. Not because of the people that we're around or the parties we get to go to, the celebrations that we have or the gifts we receive or give, but because of knowing you as the greatest thing in all the world. Jesus, you're the greatest of all time. You're greater than anything else we could put in our lives. We try to fill our lives with so many things, and yet you're standing there telling us you're the best thing. You're the only thing that's going to complete us. You're the only thing that's going to fulfill us. You're the only name that's going to last for all of eternity. You are the Lord. You are the King. You're the Son. And we want to put our lives in your hands. And so, God, this year, help us to see you as greater than anything. We love you. And ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to stand and, uh, and just sing this, uh, this chorus. Oh, come, let us adore him.